0: Good morning. Whether you're joining us online, over the television airways, or here in person, welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin on this balmy Sunday morning. We're a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Reverend Chris Jimmerson, one of the co-lead ministers here at the church. My pronouns are he, him. It's a joy to be with you today. I especially want to welcome you if you're new to the church. If you're joining us remotely, and if you can, please say hello in the comments. We'd love to hear from where you're joining us. As we work to create Beloved Community, we welcome all who would join with us in the spirit of love. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, wherever you find yourself on your life's journey, whichever your pronouns, whomever you love... Whether you walked in, rolled in, or transported in over virtual space, you are welcome here. You belong here. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person, and it's in that tradition, our living tradition, that I invite you to greet the holy among us, either in the comments online or by turning to those around you here in person.
1: Our chalice lighting this morning comes from Amy Carol Webb. We light this flame for the sacred art of unknowing. Humbled by all that we cannot fathom in this time, we come into the presence of what we do know, perhaps the only thing we can ever know, that love is now and forever the only answer to everything and everyone in every moment.
0: Our call to worship this morning is a responsive reading by Joan Javier Deval. I'll read the parts marked Minister. Please join me in reading the parts marked all. Whether tears have fallen from your eyes this past week, or gleeful laughter has spilled out of your smiling mouth, you are beloved and you are welcome. Whether you are feeling brave or broken-hearted, defiant or defeated, fearsome or fearful, you are beloved and you are welcome here. Whether you have untold stories buried deep inside or stories that have been forced beyond the edges of comfort, you are beloved and you are welcome here. Whether you have made promises, broken promises, or are renewing your promises, you are beloved, and you are welcome here. Whatever is on your heart, however it is with your soul in this moment, you are beloved, and you are welcome here. In this space of welcome and acceptance, commitment and recommitment, of covenant and connection, let us worship together.
1: One of the things that binds First UU together as a religious community is that the congregation has a common purpose. For First UU Church of Austin, that common purpose is the mission. The congregation wrote it together and emblazoned it on the wall in the sanctuary. Every Sunday, church participants say it together so that we may more readily carry it with us in our hearts throughout the week. Let us say it together now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Our reading this morning is God Gave Me a Word by the Reverend Amy Petrie Shaw. I was talking with God the other day because we're cool like that, and God said, Hey, I want you to tell people something. And I was kind of busy, so I pretended like I didn't hear. And God poked me and said, I'm not kidding. Pay attention. Because while we're cool, we're not that cool. And I know when I pushed it way too far. So I put down my coffee cup and I turned around. And God said, let me hang a word around your neck so that everyone can see it. And you better speak it when you're out because I'll know if you don't. And it will be heavy, so heavy on your soul. And a word was hung around my neck to take out to the people standing in the streets. A word was preached into my ear and laid into my mouth and burned into my heart until I could see the shape of the word and the word was all. And the word was love. And God said, now get out because you don't have all day and that word is going to get heavier and you got some work to do. And I'm taking my word out into the world Love came down on this green earth. Love came down and turned over the tables and set the world on its end. Love made it clear that it was the word for the boy and the poor and the broken-hearted, for the queer boy and the angry girl. Love was the word for the late-night hookers and the long-haul truckers, for the heroin junkie and the runaway cutters. Love was the word for all the screwed up and pushed over and too tired and can't take no more. Love was the word for the HIV patient and the man with no papers. Love was the word for me and for you and for the saints and the sinners and the scramblers in between. Love came down and made a way for there to be a way. And then love said, we are never going back. He who has ears, let him hear. Love said we are all a part of something bigger, and if you cannot rise with us, if you cannot love with us, then you should get the hell out of the way, because we aren't going anywhere, and you are in the path. (laughs) He who has ears, let him hear. Love came down for the world to know, and I'm holding out this word. So even when you and God are just like that, you can't pretend you didn't know. I cannot put it down. Not for a politician spewing hatred, not for a minister vomiting out bile in the costume of a saint, not for money or for country or for kin. I'm holding my word in my mouth because the next time I see God, I want to be able to say, you gave me a word and I carried it just the way you asked You gave it to me, and I took it, and I showed it to everyone I met. You gave it to me, and I showed it to her, and Ger, and Z, and him. I showed it to them, and they, and those over there. I never put it down. I can never put it down. I was talking with God the other day, because we're cool like that. And God said, hey, I want to tell people something. And I was still kind of busy, so I pretended like I didn't hear. And I, God said, I'm not kidding, pay attention. Because while we're cool, we aren't that cool. And I know when I pushed it way too far. So I put down my coffee cup and I turned around. And then God gave me a word. And now I've given it to you. And you, and you, and you. Start moving.
0: (laughs) This is the time in our service when we center ourselves together. We breathe together. Breathing together, we sense one another's loving presence even across virtual space. Breathing in, breathing out, we follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, a place where we know love in its purest and fullest form, that place where a spark of the divine resides within each of us. And breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together, remembering that we also hold sacred human sounds, including those of small children. Breathing together, let us now enter into that time of sacred silence together. I invite you now to light a candle if you're so moved. Candles representing sorrow, joy, hope, remembrance, resilience. Whatever it is you need to honor during this time. As we light candles, I invite you to keep in your mind and heart members of our community who are celebrating joys. Please also hold in your heart those who are ill or in sorrow. Holding all of these, we now enter into this meditative time, holding the meditative quiet when our music comes to an end.
1: light one more candle for all those for whom there is no one to light a candle. Every so often, I offer a question mark sermon. I did one with Rev. Chris shortly after I arrived here this past summer. That's when, instead of an already prepared sermon, the congregation is invited to ask questions of the minister. The scope of the questions is pretty open, within appropriate bounds, of course. They might cover anything from UU theology to UU history to world religions to congregational life to personal getting-to-know-you kind of questions. As you might imagine, it can be a lot of fun. It can also be, well, risky, because you never know what someone might ask. I offered one of these sermon box, uh, question box sermons several years ago at the church I was serving in Omaha, and as you might guess, someone came up with a doozy of a question. Are you ready for it? Why is life so darn hard? Why is life so darn hard? Well, I didn't know then, and I still don't know. It just is. It just is. What I can tell you is this. As Unitarian Universalists, we build our theology from our life experiences whatever they may be, including, and especially including, the hard things. That's what makes us different from so many faith traditions. Instead of receiving an inherited body of theology or creed or doctrine or dogma, we build our own theology, and the material we use in doing so is our life experiences. So we go through life, experiencing all of the hard things for ourselves or witnessing our friends and families and neighbors and each other experiencing their hard things, living in and through the hard places, illness, job loss, people who are mean or unfair or unkind, addiction and recovery, divorce, loss of abilities, oppression coming out, not making the team, mental health struggles, unwanted moves from one home to another, homelessness. There are so many, many hard things, hard places, and hard or hardened people. What are we to do about all of this hardness, about life being so darn hard? As universalists, one answer is love. We love each other while we are in and as we go through the hard places. We listen to and witness each other's stories, the ways in which we each live out our lives, and then weave them into a whole cloth of meaning. Our universalist ancestors tell us that love is God and God is love. This has been my experience as well. I remember one night when I was a child, and I was in a hard place, tearfully lying in bed, when all of a sudden I felt like I was being enveloped by a large, warm hug. I was completely wrapped up in this powerful feeling of being loved, completely, thoroughly peacefully and warmly loved. It was an almost indescribable feeling, one I attributed to God. As an adult, my understanding of the spiritual experience has expanded to thinking of this as some kind of collective unconsciousness or quantum entanglement or the universe. But in the end whatever the exact cause or nature of this experience of being loved, theologically speaking, calling it God in the end, still works for me. Now, while none of us can individually match this all-encompassing feeling of being loved for someone else, we can aspire to live out our lives in love. Love for each other and love for the people who are easier to ignore than to love, especially when they are a stranger to us. Our tradition of humanism teaches us this. Here's a story shared on social media by a chaplain named J.S. Park. A patient was yelling at someone, then at me. I had a few options. Number one, call security. Number two, keep walking. Number three, go confront him. Number four, go find his nurse. The RNs love this, but really they don't. Number five, ask him what he needed. You might have guessed I picked number five. Here's what happened. I got up as close to this patient as possible. Now my patient. An arm's length just out of striking distance. I asked, what do you need right now? No kidding, his mouth hung open. He stared at my hair, back at me. Hungry, he said. I'm hungry, but I mean I need real food. Okay, I said, do you have any dietary restrictions? No, sir, I don't. I am the opposite of dietary restrictions. I am dietarily (laughs) open-minded. How about a hamburger and fries? For real? You for real? Can I get two of each? He told me his story. He went to the ED, which he thought would be a quick trip, but it turned into a week. He said the hospital food reminded him of prison food. He didn't mind the hospital, but he didn't like it. It reminded him of prison. He had cried himself to sleep every night. Normally, I don't buy food for patients, but hearing his story, what else could I do? I checked with a nurse. Got enough burgers for the floor, she asked, only half joking. I went to grab his food. He almost lunged at the bag finished a burger right in front of me. And he told me between bites, "Chaplain, believe it or not, but I've stayed at the Ritz, and this right here is the best burger I've ever had in my life. (laughs) I believe you, I told him. Thanks, chap. That's all I wanted. This patient was in a hard place, and his behavior was probably making it difficult for anyone to feel compassion for him. And yet, the solution to helping him out was easy. The chaplain listened. The chaplain heard him. The chaplain fed him. This is love. This is loving someone through a hard place. Have you ever loved someone through a hard place? Has someone ever loved you through a hard place?
0: My Uncle Bobby was so very lovable. And my Uncle Bobby could be extremely hard to love sometimes. That's not as much a paradox as it might seem. Bobby was brilliant and funny and caring. He was the first in my family to realize that I was gay and to accept that. And I'll always remember the practical jokes he played on more than one of us. I can still picture him standing in a corner at the edge of family gatherings, quietly throwing in hysterical comments on the goings-on. His jokes and comments, though, were affectionate, most often pointing out something he loved about us. I grew up with Uncle Bobby as one of my parental figures— he was my mom's brother, and they had always been close, so our family and his would get together often. My brother's sister and I were almost like siblings with our cousins, Bobby's three daughters. They lived just outside of New Orleans, so visiting them was always an adventure compared to the much more staid little Southern Baptist, Southeast Texas town where we lived. Bobby was also manic-depressive and that got much worse as he aged. When he was at the depths of the worst of his depressive states, what had been humor could become biting and hurtful. At the height of his manic states, he could become delusional, like when he attached a giant television antenna to the top of his van and wired it into the dashboard radio so he could pick up what God was saying. We never knew whether it was his humor or not. He got to the point in his 40s and 50s that he could no longer work, and my grandparents had to move him in and take care of him. At times when the psychological illness had him in its grasp, though, he could be very ugly to them, even physically threatening. Eventually, with the right medications, he was able to stabilize enough that he could live on his own again with my grandparents' continued support. But when he was only 55 years old, Bobby and a woman he had begun seeing drove to Louisiana for a night out together. On the way back, they were in a terrible car wreck. Both were killed. I'll always believe, though, that Bobby made it as long as he did because of the love and care of my grandparents, my mom, his daughters, and that with that care... He would have made it even much longer were it not for that tragic accident. We had loved him through some very hard places. On the night after Bobby's funeral, his youngest daughter, my cousin Jeannie, her husband Steve and I spent the night at my mom's house. As I've mentioned, Jeannie and I grew up together. She's several years younger than me, though, and because of that age difference, we had always been that sort of family close. You know, when you have great familiarity and affection for each other because of spending so much family time together, but you don't actually know one another all that well. That evening, we talked until late. We told stories of Bobby We laughed and cried and were vulnerable with each other. We got to know each other much more deeply. After that, Wayne and I began to visit Jeannie and Steve in New Orleans when we could, and they would visit us where we lived in the Heights area of Houston. So when Steve took a job in the Houston area, they moved to the Heights too, just a few blocks from our house. I was there when their first child, Robbie, was born. Wayne and I used to babysit and take care of Robbie, babysitting from time to time so they could get out a night out together. Out of that terribly difficult tragedy of love lost, a new, much deeper relationship also came into being because Jeannie and Steve and I had loved each other through that terrible loss. Well, eventually, Wayne and I ended up moving to Austin. Jeannie and Steve moved back to New Orleans and life, and then the pandemic happened, so we haven't been able to stay in touch in the way that we used to. And yet, Jeannie and I talked recently to catch up. We made promises to each other to do better about staying in touch. And the most amazing thing happened... As we spoke over the phone, it was as if we picked things right up where we had left off. The laughter and love and vulnerability with each other was right there, just like it had been when we were together often. Love crosses the hard places and the hard times, the long distances of time and space, if we just give it the opportunity I'm betting many of you have had similar experiences. You're probably familiar with Renee Brown, a research professor and the Huffington Foundation Endowed Chair at the University of Houston School of Graduate Social Work. In her best-selling books, as well as her peer-reviewed academic publishing, she often demonstrates that one of the ways that we become whole is through being vulnerable enough to express love even when it's hard, to love even when we're finding others difficult to love sometimes. She quotes social psychologist and philosopher Eric Fromm, who said, love is the only sane and satisfactory answer to the problem of human existence. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. King once said, Love is the greatest force in the universe. It is the heartbeat of the moral cosmos. One who loves is a participant in the being of God. For me, theologically, we might express these ideas something like this There is a river of love that flows through the universe. This divine river, this eternally flowing process, pulls us toward more life giving, loving, creative ways of being. Sometimes we drift smoothly and easily in its currents. Sometimes it feels as if raging rapids might pull us under. And yet, always, always, we are also its tributaries. We choose whether to add more love, strengthen its flow. We choose whether to create rapids that, rather than sweeping any of us under, instead carry us all toward a future of beloved community. Even when it seems difficult, maybe especially when it is difficult, May we immerse ourselves into that river so that love may flow ever more powerfully.
1: Please join me in the extinguishing of the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again.
0: As the Reverend Dr. Rebecca Ann Parker says, there is an all-encompassing love which has never broken faith with us and never will.
1: Through all of your days and all of your nights, may you feel held in an the arms of an all-encompassing, all-embracing, and everlasting love.
0: And in all all of your comings comings, and all of your goings, may you tap into into this love and use it to bless bless all others as you yourselves are now blessed. Amen and blessed be.